listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Would you stand as we join together uh, for the reading and the hearing of God's Word? Our reading from Scripture today is from John chapter 1, verses 35 to 39. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So Jesus turned to them and saw them following and said, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. This is the word of the Lord. So my name is Joey Wiesman. I'm one of the uh, pastors here on the, the teaching team along with Pastor Jeff, and this morning we're kicking off a new series. Uh, and so my job this morning is to focus, focus us in on just six words. Six words, and I'm going to start with four of them and ask you this very simple question. So, four words. What do you want? What do you want? It's a simple enough question if you're like me in the drive-thru at Taco Bell on a Friday at lunch. What do you want? Doesn't matter. What you're getting is a stomachache. But when... So, what do you want is coming at you in a different situation like when I, I heard my wife saying those weird words to me. It becomes another question entirely. I was flashed back to this point in our lives where we were trying to figure out what was next for us. We built a good life with good friends and good work and didn't quite know where God was leading us next. And, and we both knew if either of us were completely honest about what we wanted, it could radically change or disrupt our lives. So what do you want can be one of the most dangerous questions you'll ever be asked. Because some of us, I mean, we're, we're used to squelching our desires, right? Afraid to let people know what we want because what we want maybe isn't right. Some of us wonder if we're even allowed to want. You know, we've spent so much time in context where other people's needs have have trumped our own, that we're too used to suppressing our wants to even realize that we have wants or desires or things that, that we want to go after. Some of us, though, know exactly what we want. Even if it changes from minute to minute, we have no problem letting everyone else know what it is that we want. And getting what we want is the sole goal of our lives. Some of us in this room have probably had very little struggle actually getting what we want. Life has come easily for some of us, or if, if maybe not easily, we've at least you know, done the, the hard work. We've put in the time, we've put in the work to get where we are. Um, but there are times where if we're honest with ourselves, getting what we want hasn't really filled us up. We've gotten the power, the pleasure, the money, the honor, but we're still empty. And some of us don't have a clue what we want. 
were honestly stumped by the question. <laughs> what do you mean, what do you want? Uh, and that lack of direction spills over into our lives and makes us into this weird combination of both restless and lethargic because we don't know ourselves well enough to know what we want. So I'll put the question to you again. What do you want? Do you know? See, that's the question we're going to ask ourselves every week for the next seven weeks as we go through all the times in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am, and then he fills in the blank, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, the gate, the vine, the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection and the life. Because in every one of these metaphors, we get a glimpse into the, the want uh, behind the want, or the desire underneath the desire. We see what all of our wants, all of our desires are aiming toward. We want to we feel fed, full, sustained. We want to see. We want to be led. We, we want to be on the inside. We want to be connected. We want transcendence. We want the power of life and death itself. So as we go through all of these I am statements over the next seven weeks, we're going to peel back the layers on our heart's deepest wants, desires that are too big to be fulfilled in our own selves. Desires, spoiler alert, that can only be fulfilled in Jesus. So if you haven't already, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Because uh, we're going to start here and consider that question, what do you want? Before we jump ahead to chapter 8 and we see Jesus answering the question, I am what you want. All right, let's jump in. I'm picking up in John 1, uh, verses 35 through 39, as I just read. I want you to take a look here. It starts, uh, and you already get a sense that the story is already in motion. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. Uh, see, the, the, the plot line of John's gospel begins with John the Baptist, which uh, if you're less than familiar with this, uh, this book, that's not the same John who wrote the book, different John. John the Baptist is one guy. John the author is another guy. Uh, but John the Baptist is out in the wilderness. He's calling people to repent, to, to turn, to get ready, uh, because the Messiah, uh, the Christ, the anointed one, is coming. Uh, this is the guy who's going to be the, the final and the best uh, go-between between God and man, the guy who will lead Israel back into a future that they never quite got to. He's the answer to all of the problems, the one who they think will get them what they want. So John's been out in the wilderness. He's been baptizing people. That's kind of a symbolic marker of people saying, I'm ready to follow the new king. Uh, and John's out there. He's building a following when uh, one day he sees a working class carpenter walk by, a guy named Jesus. And John shouts for all of the crowd to hear, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus has been introduced. And now where we pick up in verse 35, it's the next day, the next day again, and John sees Jesus walking by again, repeats his declaration from the day before, behold, the Lamb of God. And John has trained his followers well. 
over and over, he's been saying to them, I'm not the answer. The answer is coming. When the answer is here, follow him. And so when the two disciples standing with him hear John saying, look, the Lamb of God again, they immediately leave John's side and they begin to chase after Jesus, running to catch up with him. And Jesus hears this commotion on the road behind him, the sound of running feet, and he wheels around and he stops them in their tracks with a simple pointed question. What do you want? It's right there in verse 38, different translations. Some make it sound a little softer. What are you seeking? Some make it sound a little more formal. What seekest thou? What are you looking for? What do you want? Now, John, the author of this gospel, He's doing something more here than simply reciting the bare facts of the events as they happened in order. He's picking and choosing his material as he retells the story. He makes certain emphases, you know, wants to make a point. Because Jesus isn't asking the question in a laid-back salesperson sort of way, right? Hey, what you looking for? What can I do you for? No. What do you want is what one Christian author calls the, the first, the last, and the most fundamental question of Christian discipleship. It's the question buried underneath almost every other question Jesus asks us. What do you want? When you come running after me, what do you want? I think that's the question Jesus is asking all of us and is going to continue asking all of us as we go through this sermon series. What do you want? So when he turns around and wheels around on these two guys running up after him in the dust, he stops them short with this question and they, they blubber a response. <laughs> Rabbi, uh, teacher, uh, where are you staying? And maybe they're nervous, maybe they're shy, maybe they didn't think about what they were going to say ahead of time, but whatever is going on in their hearts and minds, they intuitively know that whatever it is that they want, if they even know themselves well enough to name it, whatever it is that moved them to chase after this guy, they know they're not going to find it in a five-minute conversation on the side of the road. They want more. And they get it. Let's turn ahead to chapter 8. John chapter 8, just a few pages to the right. These two guys on the road, one of them was Andrew, the other was probably the John who wrote this gospel. Uh, these guys, they stick around with Jesus all the way through, and they get the answer to their question in a blinding flash of insight, I think. In this situation where Jesus goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with the religious leaders during one of the biggest feast days of the year. We're picking it up in chapter 8, right near the end. And, and where we pick it up, Jesus is in this big debate, and there's a lot of run-up to this conversation that we're going to talk about in a later sermon. For now, I'm jumping into the story near the end where Jesus is promising that anyone who follows him and follows his words will not see death. And the religious leaders challenge him. They say, 
Even Abraham, the greatest Jew there ever was, died. Are you saying you're greater than Abraham? And Jesus says, look, even Abraham looked forward to the day when I would come. He was looking forward to me. So yeah, I kind of am saying I'm greater than Abraham. And they shoot back, wait, you saw Abraham looking ahead and rejoicing? What are you saying? You're as ancient as Abraham when we can all plainly see you're not even 50 years old yet? And verse 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him and kill him. It seems like an odd response to Jesus' claim, but we, to get it, we've got to understand what's going on in, in the background here. Uh, this, is, uh, this is referring back to one of the classic stories that every Jewish child learned, every adult celebrated every year, the story of God visiting Moses at the burning bush. Some of you uh, have you've known this story since you were two years old, and so you remember it. Moses is in exile. He's a poor shepherd. Uh, one day he's out in the field. This is after he's left Egypt, uh, fleeing for his life. He's out in the field. He sees this bush on fire. It's not burning up, so he goes over to look. And here's a voice telling him, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And it's the voice of God, the God of the Jews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Israel, there's this whole conversation about God choosing Moses to lead the Jewish people out of slavery, and Moses isn't so sure, so... He says to God, well, okay, look, if you send me back and I go back to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, this is all in Exodus chapter 3, by the way, they ask me, what's his name? In other words, what's he like? Who is this God? What do you want me to say to them? See, hidden under this question is a lot of emotional baggage. Because from the old stories they know, God was strong enough to protect Abraham when it was him and a few wives and kids. He was maybe even strong enough to protect Abraham when it was more of the Jewish people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all their families and flocks and everything, but God hasn't done much of anything for them in 400 years. The family has grown. It's, it's millions now. They're under slavery and bondage in Egypt. God might be strong enough to save a few, but is he really big enough to go up against the gods of Egypt and save the many, deliver millions? Right? From the old stories, we know God is at least proved himself to be a family-sized God. He's really a nation-sized God. So Moses asks, who do you want me to tell them you are? Meaning, just how big of a God are you? Because if I'm going to follow you into this fire, I've got to know that you're going to come through. And God responds, tell them I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent me to you. Tell them that's my name forever. See, when God's people ask him who he is, what they should call him, how big he is, he says, call me I am. 
And that name becomes the name that they cling to, the name that they come back to over and over again. Because I am who I am means I'm bigger than any other God you could try to call on. I'm the God who is more powerful than any of the other so-called gods of Egypt. I'm the God, the one God, the, the only God, the one who can humble nations, the God who can deliver the oppressed, the God who created all of this and holds it together. I am who I am. Now bring all that back into John chapter 8, and you have Jesus answering their question with, before Abraham ever came into existence, I am. Not even I was, or I was there, or I saw it. Before Abraham ever came into being, I am. It's not a normal way of speaking. <laughs> and they pick up stones to try to kill him. Because Jesus has just taken the covenant name of God and said, that's my name. I am God. And he's standing in the temple itself saying, this is my house where we're standing. It's not something that he says casually. Scholars in Jewish history write, these are the words of the most impudent blasphemer that ever spoke, or the words of God incarnate. Words meaning, where I am, that's where God is. That's where God lives and speaks and calls and asks and acts and decides and loves and chooses and forgives and rejects and hardens and suffers and dies. Where I am, God is. You want to know what God looks like? Jesus says, look at me. So what do you want when you look at Jesus? What do you want? We're going to grapple with this question over and over again in this series because those four words are the very first words that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John. He speaks to those two men and he speaks to all of us. What do you want? It's worth our time to look at his answers to this question because the answer that Jesus gives is unlike the answer anyone else has ever given. When Jesus answers that question, he doesn't say, I'm the way to what you want. He says, I am what you want. Back in chapter 1, when he asked those two guys that question, they didn't know it at the time, but what they wanted was him. What about you? What do you want? It's not an easy question to answer if it's anything other than lunch. One author puts it this way. He says, we, we cannot seem, we still cannot seem to find what we're looking for because we don't know what we want. If we never seem to arrive at some sort of final destination, if we keep growing tired of every place that promised to be the end of the road, it's because the terrain of our interior, interior life, the inside of our soul, is a wilderness of wants. He goes on to say that the heart's hunger is infinite, which is why it will ultimately dis be disappointed with anything merely finite 
humans. Human beings are those strange creatures who can never be fully satisfied by anything that they themselves have created. Though that doesn't stop us from trying. So do you know what you want? Because underneath all of the the drive for money or success, for honor, for promotion, for pleasure or for power, for comfort or for relaxation, uh, is a, it, there's a drive, there's something underneath it, a desire for something more. Behind our desire uh, for all of those things is something deeper, a deeper desire. So when Jesus asks the question, what do you want, and gives the answer, I am what you want, he, he's, he's telling that, look, he's, Jesus isn't saying, hey, I can point you to the bread of life. He's saying, I am the bread of life. He's not telling us, I can get you access. I can get you inside. I can get you through the door. He's saying, I am the door. Jesus isn't telling us, you know, I can point you where to experience transcendence. He's saying, no, I am transcendence itself. I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus isn't telling us, look, I can, I can give you the secrets to life and death. He says, I am the power of life and death. I am the resurrection and the life. Because everyone who points the way to some other answer somewhere else is still leaving it up to you to do the work to get to that answer. Right? If Jesus had come and said, let me show you where the bread is, now go get it, then it's still on you to go get it. If he'd come and said, let me show you where the life is, it's over there, now it's on you to go get that life, then it would still be all on us and our work to go get the life, to go get the bread. But Jesus says, I am the bread, I am the life. The difference is it's not a thing that we want, it's a person. Things don't come looking for you, but people do. Things have to be found. People find you. God himself has come to us. He's not leaving us in the dust and the disappointment of yet another road that we're running down, chasing after some, we hope, Messiah that is this time going to make us feel like we finally found what we're looking for, something that will finally satisfy us and give us what we want, only to let us down again as we realize, ah, that was just a way station. What we want is farther off in the future. We're not chasing a thing. We're being chased by a person. What we want, who we want, has come looking for us. The I am. Jesus himself. So let's wrap this up. There's two types of wantings in this world. The first is a restless, anxious wanting that, that is engendered by disappointment, by not knowing where our desires will be ultimately, finally, fully fulfilled. It's an endlessly exhausting, frantic, restlessly anxious search. The other type of wanting Second type comes from knowing what your heart desires, but knowing you're not there yet. It's the weariness of being en route, weighed down by the trials of the road, distracted by all the little tempting side paths 
that are trying to convince us to just stop for a while, set up shop here, this, this is good enough. Because what we want at the deepest level is to finally come to someone that will be the end of all of our wanting. To not want any more. We're not there yet. But we know where it is. It's in Jesus. The I am. So pray with me. Almighty and eternal God, three persons in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are hidden from our sight. You are beyond the understandings of our minds. Your thoughts are not like our thoughts. Your ways are past our finding out. You are infinite. And we are finite. But you have breathed your spirit into my spirit, into our spirits. You have formed our minds to seek you. You have turned our hearts to love you, to desire you. You have made us restless for the rest that can be found only in you. You've planted within us a hunger and a thirst that makes us long for the eternal satisfaction of simply being in your presence. Draw us closer to you, we pray. Fix our eyes on Jesus. In his name, amen.